Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. Thanks for being with us today. Today we've got a really interesting show, and I think this is information that many of you out there can identify with. But first, let me tell you a little bit about our guest, Peter Shankman. The New York Times has called Peter a rock star who knows everything about social media and then some. But in addition to that, he's a six-time best-selling author, entrepreneur, and corporate keynote speaker focusing on neurodiversity in the workplace. Peter's sixth book, and it's his first children's book, came out in mid-March this year, The Boy with the Faster Brain. It's a heartwarming story about a young boy named Peter who discovers that his ADHD brain, which is always getting him into trouble in school, it's actually a super powerful tool that he can use to achieve anything he wants, as long as he learns how to use it in the right way. And yes, it's obviously very much autobiographical. So this is the children's version of Peter's previous bestseller on ADHD, Faster Than Normal, Turbocharge Your Focus, Productivity, and Success with the Secrets of the ADHD Brain. Peter, thanks for being with us today. Great to be here. Thank you. So I love it when people, you know, they share their own personal story and they weave that in into the information they share with other people. So this has a little bit of you in there, right? Uh, it has a lot of bit of me in there. Yeah, <laughs> I, I grew up uh, constantly in trouble, constantly, um, yeah, always, always getting, you know, yelled at by the teachers and sent to the principal's office, could never shut up, things like that. And, you know, undiagnosed. I grew up in the 80s in New York City where uh, ADHD wasn't really a thing. It was sit down, you're disrupting the class. Wow. So when did you figure out you had ADHD? Not until my mid-30s. I was diagnosed in my mid-30s. And finally, a lot of stuff started to make sense. So I just, and if this is too personal, you can tell me, but what prompted that diagnosis? Um, I had an idea, you know, I had, a, I was seeing, I was in, I was in therapy at the time and I had a therapist who, you know, he said to me one day, he goes, so you never talk about how you manage your ADHD. And I go, my what? And he goes, you don't know? You know, <laughs> I guess it was kind of pretty obvious to him and, and everyone else. Well, was it, was it good news when you did get that news? It didn't really change much. It just, it just allowed me to know that there was a name for what I was. And a lot of stuff started to make sense. A lot of the reasons I did what I did, I wasn't, you know, I, I, I learned how to use my faster brain years earlier. Um, it just, now I just had a name for it. Okay. So share a little bit about how you learned how to use your faster brain, because I think there's a lot of people out there that have got that brain that won't turn off, that won't stop, that could use some tips. Um, I mean, there are so many things. I, I don't start a day without exercise. It is mandatory that I exercise. So, and I'm a single dad. So I, sometimes I'm up as early as 4 a.m., 3.30, 4 a.m., most days actually, to allow myself to get on the bike for an hour, hour and a half before my daughter wakes up. Um, I'm just, I'm not as on if I haven't exercised and gotten the, re, the, the, the benefits of that exercise, which, which include dopamine, serotonin, and adrenaline. Those are the three chemicals that the body tends to make less of anyway when you're neurodiverse. So getting that from a source like exercise is a great way to sort of stay on top of my game. Well, I can identify with that. 
because that just that starts my day, gets my head in the right headspace, gets my energy going. So I think that's you know a, a good tip for everybody out there. But there's those people that like to wind their day down with it. So whenever it works for you, fit it into your schedule. So what's it like? You know, you grow up and you got this really fast brain and you're always in trouble. And but you figure out, I mean, you got through you got through it and then you get to be an adult and you're a very successful adult. You've had, you know, several you've worked in many different fields and then when you have ADHD and okay, that that kind of makes sense. And then you start to apply it into your life. Did you need to make lifestyle changes other than exercise to apply it? Or was it just a natural fit? So for me, you know, a lot of the things I do, I have to do every single day um, or, or they don't work. You know, one of them is the simple act of getting up early and exercising. If I don't get exercise first thing in the morning, I'm nowhere near as sort of on my game as I could be because exercise gives you the dopamine, serotonin, and adrenaline that your body craves and that people with neurodiverse brains don't make enough of to begin with. So being able to get up, and that, you know, sometimes that means getting up as early as 3.45, 4 a.m. before my daughter wakes up so I can get a couple of hours of exercise and, you know, get what I need to do done and then I'm a better person for it. So, so exercise for me is, is, has always been key. I, I discovered exercise probably my early 20s and I'm 51 now. So yeah, for the past 30 years, I've tried to do something physical every day. Well, and I can identify with that because I start my day with exercise and it gets my brain going, but it also gets my head in the right spot. So for our listeners out there, if you're not an early morning warrior like Peter or like myself, Whenever you can fit it into your schedule, get it in because the brain needs to move and the brain loves movement. And, you know, this is the first time, Peter, that I've talked about ADHD in the terms of neurodiversity. So and you consider it a gift, not a curse. I do. I do. I believe that all my success, I've started and sold three companies. Um, My most recent one was called Help a Reporter Out, and it was acquired by uh, PR Newswire back in 2010. And I'm a... um, you know, I'm a big believer that my ADHD is is the cause of, like all my success is because of, not in spite of my ADHD. So you use it as a gift, and I think that's oh, without remarkable. Question. Without question, there's there's you know my belief is that is that the reason that it is looked at as a disability is because we are very you know we're we're, we're programmed as a society to act a certain way, and when people don't act um, that way, there's considered to be something wrong with them, but we have not, the society we currently live in, you know, where the whole reason we have, for instance, one, the whole reason we sit in rows in a classroom is because that was the most efficient way to get as many kids as possible into the schoolhouse back when it was a one-room schoolhouse 100 years ago. Well, things have changed. It's not like that anymore. And there are, we have to keep up with the times. Differences are what has separated us and kept our species growing, right? Different brains, people thinking different ways. Um, have been what's helped us get to where we are. So if we if we look at everyone with a different brain and and banish them to the land of broken or the land of of um, you know not not working or misfit, we're missing a huge opportunity. Well, I think that that you're right, and I think that 
we're recognizing now so many things about brain health that we haven't recognized before. And ADHD, anxiety, depression, OCD, that, that's just a disreg that's just a brain that regulates differently. And that doesn't mean that it's a disability. It doesn't mean that that you're at a disadvantage. It just means you have to figure out how to work it. So if an adult wanted to learn more, would you suggest they, which book would you suggest they read? So if you're an adult, I mean, Faster Than Normal was designed for adults to understand sort of their different brain. It's also designed for anyone who's not ADHD, who just sort of wants to uh, improve their their life a bit and get, get a few hours of uh, each day back in their productivity. You know, I, some of the things I do each morning, um, I do to, to help me be incredibly productive, and I do them whether I had ADHD or not. So I think Fast and Normal is a great way to start. For kids, it's definitely the boy with the faster brain. Um, it's the book I wish I had when I was a kid. So, wow, Peter, you know, we talk about, you talk about neurodivergent, and it, and it sounds like it's such a, a positive thing, but I don't think it's a term that many of our listeners will understand or even know what to do with. Can you help provide some information on that? Yeah, so basically neurodiversity falls under seven ca several categories. There's ADHD, there's ADD, there's autism, there's executive function disorder, there's dyslexia, um, several different things. It's basically brains that are slightly different that work in different ways. Um, because of the way we do things in this country and in the world, it has been labeled a disability. Um, I disagree with that. You know, I don't believe it is a disability. I believe that if you understand how to use your brain, it can actually be a gift. So I have, um, I was diagnosed with ADHD, uh, like I said, in my mid thirties and, um, all the things that I did as a kid that got me in trouble when I was growing up are actually very, very beneficial in terms of going out on my own, being an entrepreneur, starting companies, being successful. Um, Again, when, when I was growing up in the 80s and 70s and 80s in New York City in the public schools, um, different wasn't uh, sort of accepted. So being different is great, in my opinion. And, and if you look at anyone who's ever changed the world, chances are they had a neurodiverse brain. That's not to say that people with regular brains are bad at all, but we are starting to see now as a society that acceptance of neurodiverse brains is tremendously beneficial. Well, I think you're right. And I think that we're starting to, society is starting to accept a lot and understand brain health to, to a much higher degree. And I think that while on an individual level that's happening, it really needs to have some focus on a corporate level and on an organizational level to be accepted and embraced. No question about it. I'm working with um, some major companies, including Google, Adobe, uh, helping them with their neurodiversity um, uh, framework for their company. You know, everyone focuses on DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, but that can't just be skin deep. It has to include neurodiversity as well. So what are some of the efforts that are going on in the, in the corporate world? Well, for instance, um, if you look at the concept that a rising tide raises all boats, the premise of a being able to tell your HR person or your supervisor or whatever that, hey, I have a different brain. I would um, benefit from, let's say, being in an office where I'm not right next to the door so I don't get easily distracted or being allowed to wear noise canceling headphones, things like that. Right. And 
The problem is, is that, for instance, there was a study done last year um, by the Rand Corporation for the military and the um, uh, intelligence uh, services in the United States. And they said that if they don't start hiring for neurodiverse people, they're going to fall behind. Because right now, if you work for the, let's say, the um, CIA, and you have some sort of neurodivergence, and you want, let's say, noise-canceling headphones to, to use at your desk so you can concentrate, you actually have to go and get evaluated by a psychiatrist and be labeled as severely disabled. Oh. To qualify for headphones. That's that's obviously ridiculous, right? That's obviously ridiculous. It's not something that would ever be uh, uh, useful, right? I'm not going to go and say, hi, I'm severely disabled. Please give me my headphones. So the concept of curb cuts, which is the premise that um, when you are a, a, um, a, I'll give you an example. In the 1950s, after World War II, about 600,000 um, uh, veterans came home after World War II and they were wounded. So it was suggested to all cities and local towns that they create curb cuts or little ramps at the end of each sidewalk to allow veterans in wheelchairs and those in crutches to be able to get onto the sidewalks easier. Well, that helped them, but that also helped the unintended consequences, but it also helped pregnant women. It also helped the disabled. It also helped the elderly. It also helped people with packages. It also helped delivery men. So all of a sudden, something that was done for one segment of society benefited all of society. That's how we have to start thinking. That is a great example. That truly is because I, I, I love those little curb cuts. When I'm walk, I, I have two dogs and when I'm walking those dogs and one goes left and one goes right, Makes it a lot easier, that's yep. for sure. 100%. So it does my heart good to hear that corporations are really starting to understand the beauty of neurodiversity. And when you mentioned the military, it, talk to me a little bit more about that. Well, the, the report basically said that in this new world we're in, um, it is imperative that intelligence information services and, and you know, CIA, FBI, NSA, things like that hire the neurodiverse because they, everyone who's neurodiverse comes with an incredibly different skill set. Um, you know, I, for instance, am a great talker. I have the ability to engage anyone in conversation about anything. Um, other people are great at math. Uh, some people are great at spotting patterns, whatever it is. If we only hire like we did in the 1950s, we are leaving out a tremendous amount of opportunity. And that's the same for businesses as well. You know, there are incredible amounts of people who are neurodiverse, who can do incredibly, your creativity in any company or organization usually stems from someone who is neurodiverse. And so if you're not hiring for that, you're gonna be left behind. What are the barriers for hiring for that? There's not really barriers. It's a question of looking at things differently. You know, people are not traditional. They, they tend to be traditionalists. Um, they tend, if, if, if your HR department is made up of non-neurodiverse people, people have subliminal bias and they tend to hire people similar to them. Um, we have to start looking past that. We have to be able to hire for 
different talents, not just what it says in a resume. I can see the beauty of that, and I can see how the diversity can enhance the overall the overall process involved. The are there any situations where you think a neurodiversity candidate might not be a good fit? I think there are definitely times uh, where they might not. If it is a, you know, for, for instance, many neurodiverse people work very, very well unsupervised. If it is a micromanager type job where you're constantly being prodded and asked this and asked that, that might not be a good fit. I went out on my own as an entrepreneur 25 years ago because I had one job. I worked for America Online for three years back when AOL was the internet. And what wound up happening was that it was incredibly easy. I loved my job because they let me do whatever the hell I wanted as long as I got my job done. After I came, after I left AOL and moved back to New York City, I took a job with a magazine. All of a sudden we had 8 a.m. Uh, 8 a.m. morning meetings and 9.30 a.m. check-ins and 10.30 a.m. editorial calls. And let it. it was the worst thing I ever did. I lasted two weeks. I haven't had a job since because I went to the manager saying I need, I need to be able to work the way I need to work. Well, and you need to, that requires a little bit of freedom. So I could see how in some environments that could be harder to provide. Yep. Yeah. Well, we've talked about how hard it is sometimes to, to get everything lined up, to know what why we're having the problems we're having in school or in relationships. So for those people that are out there listening and they feel like that they have been misunderstood, what could you say to them that would resonate with them and make them feel a little bit more centered? You're not broken. The most important thing to understand is that you're not broken. You are gifted. You've just been living in a world that doesn't put a priority on being gifted. The best example I can give you is imagine you learned to drive at age 16 and you're now 30 and you've been driving for the past 14 years. You've been driving a Honda Accord. Well, Honda Accord is a very nice car. You know, it'll get you from point A to point B. It's not the fastest car in the world. And over time, as you get on the highway, you might find that you have to floor it to actually get up to highway speed. Well, now one day, I don't know, someone likes you and they say, you know what? You deserve a new Lamborghini. And they give you a Lamborghini. Well, now you have this incredible car. But if you go onto the highway and try to drive it like you drove that Honda, you're going to zoom up to 200 miles an hour and immediately crash into a tree. You have to learn how to drive your faster brain. That makes sense. That may, that's a great example. And, and that does make sense. So as you're learning to to drive that faster brain, what do you do? A lot of it's trial and error, but understand that the best thing to do is to work the way that works for you, right? I, like I said, I have rituals and rules. The exercise is mandatory. Um, I try to eat healthy. I find that if I eat like crap, I, I perform like crap. Um, I have a very simple wardrobe. My wardrobe is t-shirts and jeans. Um, when I'm, when I am uh, uh, speaking, it, or on TV, it's button-down shirts, jackets, and jeans. When I'm in the office or traveling, it's t-shirts and jeans. In fact, my closet has two sides and it's labeled. And one side says office slash travel, and the other side says speaking slash TV. 
And I wake up, I go to one side, I look at my schedule and I go to one side of my closet or the other and I know what I'm wearing. I don't have to sit there. If I had all my sweaters and my vest, all my sweaters, my vest, my suits, all that stuff is in my daughter's closet. Because if I don't wake up every morning and look at all that stuff, that's decision paralysis. Huh, what should I wear? Oh my God, that sweater, I remember that sweater. Laura gave me that sweater. I wonder how she's doing. I should look her up. Now it's three, three hours later, I'm naked in the living room on Facebook and I haven't left the house. Well. <laughs> That could get a little complicated, couldn't it? So you avoid you avoid those things by allowing yourself the freedom to be basic, right? I don't worry about what I'm going to wear because it's right in front of me. The exercise is key. And then the elimination of choice, whether it's it's what I'm wearing or just on my desk. My desk has a very it's, – it's my laptop. It's my phone. It's a hard drive. It's a power source, and it's my glasses. Because there, anything else on my desk, I'd play with. Well, I think that you've done a very good job of understanding what you need to be successful. And I think that hopefully that's what our least listeners can take away, too, is that, you know, it sounds like you're setting yourself up for success. Ah, if I, if I walk in that closet and I see all that, I'm going to go down memory lane, or I'm going to get, you know into analysis paralysis and if i get at my desk and i can get too sidetracked i i i'll go there so you have a dog i do his name is waffle he's currently asleep asleep on the couch and ignoring me but um he is a he's wonderful because he also you know dogs dogs we can learn a lot from dogs dogs are very simple they um you know they 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 like to play they like to eat they like to sleep we could take a lesson from that (laughs) So he kind of helps keep you in your balance. He does. And it's funny because I've only had a dog for a couple of years. Prior to that, I had cats for 25 years. And they are, you can learn a lot from cats as well. Cats just sleep and don't let anything bother them. They, they sleep. If something bothers them, they swat at it and go away. It's, it's, we can simplify our lives by looking at animals and doing what they do. Well, and we can simplify our lives by stopping and thinking about what we're doing that adds value and what we're doing that sidetracks us, I think. Exactly. A lot of times what sidetracks us is stuff that we don't need anyway. Um, The concept of minimalism, decluttering, things like that, very, very important. When you look at your house and you look around you, you have a daughter. So your daughter may feel a little bit differently about that. Is she she into her stuff? She does. She has a lot more stuff, but it's all in her room. Ah. It's in her room. It is clean. It is put away. It is organized. Right. She learned that from me at a very early age. You want to play with stuff and play with as much as you want. It's going away and back where it belongs before you go to sleep. Does she share your gift? Probably. I haven't had her tested yet. She's only 10, but I believe she does. Okay. So, well, I think it's nice that you're just kind of letting it evolve because so many times people will come to the Brain Performance Center because they've had a label slapped on their child, ADHD, and that label will follow that child all the way through school. Well, that's the interesting thing, is that when I was growing up, I was told for the first 30 years of my life that I was broken. So imagine how difficult it is to try to unlearn that. If we can teach kids at five years old, they're not broken, they're gifted. We can save them 20, 30 years of, of having to unlearn whatever it is they're doing. Well, you're right. Anything you learn, you know, you can unlearn. But that's a harder way to go about it. Exactly. We've, 
we've got about three minutes left. And what are, you know, if you people listening to the show, if you want them to remember two or three things, what would those be? I think one of the first things is you're, you're gifted. You're not broken. I would say that another thing is um, uh, you have to understand that neurodiversity is not going away. The only reason you're hearing more about it, it's not new. The only reason you're hearing more about it now is because for the first time ever, people are being more open about it. And then finally, I think to understand we all have gifts. We all have talents. We all have certain things that we can do to allow ourselves to be the best we can. That's the key. So for someone out there that has a talent that they've always just kind of tried to, you know, to push down because when it starts to, they try to use it, they get in trouble. Do they just need to learn how to use it in a better way? Once I stopped caring about what most people think, life became a lot easier. I think that one of the keys is to understand that you're living your life. You're not living anyone else's life and no one's living your life. You have to do things that work for you. And sometimes that's hard to do because sometimes, you know, you wind up uh, uh, getting in uh, to some level of trouble because, again, we live in a society that does have certain rules and norms. But understanding how your brain works and allowing yourself the freedom to learn and to explore and to make those mistakes and to do better and not be your own worst critic is hands down the number one thing you can do. And that is hands down the best message that I think that we can live leave our listeners with. I really do. So for people maybe that want to learn more about your book, they want to learn more about you, how would they find you? And I'm sure your book's on Amazon, right? On Amazon and everywhere you can buy books. They all are. Um, my entire world, I'm at Peter Shankman on Instagram and Facebook uh, and Snapchat, and basically everywhere but Twitter. Threads, I quit Twitter a while ago, but everywhere else I'm at Peter Shankman. Um, YouTube is Peter Shankman Official. And my website is, is uh, shankman.com. So if somebody uh, contacts you through the website, will you reply to that or is there a process? I reply to every single email personally. Well, that's great for our listeners to know. And I hope that everyone that is out there that has struggled or maybe you thought, do I have ADHD? Is my brain not working the way it should? I hope you, you you listen and you lean into Peter's message. Peter, thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. of Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, Toginet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and thebrainperformancecenter.com. Brain Performance Center.com.